So with the playoffs in full swing, we have a little bit of a lull tonight with two 3-0 series that likely to finish up. We're actually recording this during the day. But I wanted to get a buddy of mine on for the first time, who I, I first met at Sports Business Classroom, the inaugural Sports Business Classroom back in 2016. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Space is still available for this summer, embedded in the Vegas Summer League. But let's hit some NBA playoffs first with my man, Dave Dufour. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh- uh, I, th- I thought your uh, your description of tonight's game games were uh, you know very generous. Are you going to watch these games? Be honest. Um, I will probably watch Houston and Utah just because Houston is going to be playing Golden State, and yeah. there's a and I think Utah actually could possibly win this game, and it just might reveal some more about Houston and Utah as like a real team. I have not watched more than about probably ten minutes of Milwaukee and Detroit just because Detroit is so bad yeah that, it, you're yeah. not going to learn anything from it right and right. if it, if those games have been close i would have gone back and watched it that was right. my policy yep. each one of them has been a 20 point blowout so now uh, i'm grounding that the, the most i know is that uh bucks twitter is going ape shit because uh they're playing Ilya sova and miritich together with no yeah. room protector but but uh, they're not suffering any consequences for it and it's the no. first round like sa- save those guys legs um I, yeah i have i've maybe watched five minutes of that series all on synergy and uh yeah. Uh, I'm not planning to watch the games live tonight. I'm going to catch them tomorrow morning. I, I just, you know, we I think we know what's going to happen. Uh, maybe, maybe the the Jazz take it to five, but I mean, this is just it's a matchup nightmare for them. Yeah. So I wanted to just talk a little bit more about the playoffs in general. Now, with almost all these series, uh, other than the two that we just mentioned, having gone through four games, and some of these teams are, are going to be out pretty soon. It, every series is three one, except for. Denver San Antonio or is over already but I think this is a good time to, to talk about then what we've seen it in this first round so let's start with the coaching you uh, a former coach so you look at this kind of stuff very closely who if we're doing a coach of the first round equivalent to coach of the year who would your pick be for this first round I mean it's gonna sound crazy because they're the eighth seed in the west and, and they're obviously not going to take another game from the Warriors but I think Doc Rivers has not gotten enough credit for the last two season and I and I think this playoffs is another example he's starting two rookies I, I mean they stole a game that they definitely had no business coming back and winning but he keeps these guys engaged constantly uh we saw in game four they actually took Steph out of the game I and mean, we can say Steph missed some open shots and he certainly did but I thought that they switched up the coverage a little bit or at least had more more success with stuff that they had tried earlier in the series and they just stuck with it I think Doc has been fantastic he's always been a good a good coach who doesn't get a lot of credit because you know he won his title with you know three hall of famers um but yeah. he's so been three fantastic. hall of famers though who as that season started they weren't supposed to win 66 games of the year they're supposed to win like you know mid 50s at best so people were not talking about them as like the clear favorite in the east when that team was assembled right this one that wasn't a team that we expected to have the chemistry that it had and again doc rivers i mean i think he's we know about the ubuntu stuff and and that he's great at the relationship part but i think he's underrated as a tactician um underrated i his after timeouts are fantastic and his sideline out of bounds are great. Brad Stevens gets a lot of credit for this stuff, but for some reason it seems like Doc is overlooked. And, and you know, I, I think that uh obviously doing what he does out west makes it him him less visible. Um he's not the coach of the Lakers, he's the coach of the Clippers. So there's plenty of reasons for this, but um I, I do think Doc has been the best coach given what he's got. You know, he, he doesn't have nearly as much talent as most of these other teams. And I think he's been, you know, great at maximizing the talent that he has. Yeah, he's coached some great series, uh, taking that Celtics team in 2010 to a game seven uh, again, you know, beating two 60 win type teams in the East uh, and then almost beating that Lakers team. Um, 2015, I thought he outcoached Greg Popovich in that first round when they beat the defending champion Spurs. So yeah, it's he's had some impressive performances, and yeah, they have such a talent deficit. But to even slow down the Warriors and make them look slightly bad with the personnel that they have has been really impressive to me. I mean, they've got their entire team is one way players basically. Absolutely, you've got Lou Williams, Harrell. I mean, both of those guys, some of the worst defenders at their position. I thought his adjustment to go at Jamichael Green at center up against Andrew Bogut last night worked. Their starters were good when they had those units out there, so. 
I, I yeah I think they've been above my expectations in this series and certainly you mentioned the mental part of it that's something that he probably didn't or the shine came off of him during the end of the Lob City era when that group uh which was maybe kind of difficult to deal with emotionally sort of grew tired of one another but with these teams the last couple of years he deserves a lot of credit my pick actually I think there are three really good candidates and we'll talk about all of them but is Mike Malone and Doc Rivers you know he's been coaching since what 2000 2001 I can't remember yeah. that coach of the year that season with the, with the magic back in the day uh Mike Malone was a major question mark for me coming into these playoffs because he'd never been in the playoffs before he also had exhibited some tendencies in the regular season that made me question whether he'd be a great playoff coach with you know a, a lot of loyalty not the most amazing game management uh, some uh, things that really made you wonder about how adaptable he would be and there have been a couple of things that, that have been a problem i think particularly his approach to foul trouble uh but uh, and uh, i thought in game it was game two that with paul Millsap they, they did win that game but they took him out with, with three fouls in the first half when they were down by or, or, in, or i'm sorry four fouls in the third quarter when they were down by a lot uh but he's made a number of moves like he's gone toe-to-toe with greg popovich and the, the yin and yang between games two three and four between those two guys is really interesting to watch that's been the most interesting strategic series to me but game four the adjustment to take will barton out will barton a very prideful player said in the media that he told mike malone that he disagreed with being taken out of the starting lineup and many were calling for malik beasley to start rather than will barton and he went with tory craig and tory craig i thought really changed that series. you don't expect him to shoot five seven from three every time but they couldn't stop the spurs and so that was the adjustment that he had to say hey you know we're gonna stop these guys we still have Jokic, who can hopefully carry the offense for us enough uh they also after that Derek white 36 point performance that enabled them to put gary harris onto him and more importantly they stopped just double teaming off of white to just give him a wide open lane to go right to the rim where they have no rim protection and they won that game four pretty handily and now they're back in control to some degree in that series with the the home court advantage at 2-2 where statistically those teams are a major favorite so i don't know that he that they're going to win this series he may have some foibles coming up ahead here but i thought he deserved credit for being better than i thought he would in his first playoffs which i think could be as difficult for coaches if not more so than it is for players oh yeah and absolutely and he, and this is a super young team that he's coaching so there he's he's fighting an uphill battle greg popovich you know probably the best basketball coach in the history of the nba and and malone is you know new to the playoffs so yeah i mean the scrutiny is there there's all the the external pressures and it's funny we were going to talk about coaching adjustment you know that we that we found interesting in the in the first round and mine was malone starting tory craig over will barton he saved the series they were yeah, they were going to lose that was that going to be mine too i guess we stepped on our next subject but that's okay okay. we'll jump right into it uh i I think i mean he saved the series with that move um and then will barton when he came in looked better um but not only did he start uh craig over barton but he stuck with him played him 37 minutes it wasn't just a you know a nominal start you know get out there and then go right back into their their old rotations and you know yes tory craig (laughs) caught fire and you know uh five of seven from three like you said but uh he really did save the series with that move because all the momentum was in san Antonio's favorite. Any other coaches that have stood out to you uh, on the positive side of the ledger in the first round? Well, I think uh, Greg Popovich has. Um, you know, clearly they don't have the talent that the Nuggets have, at least the high-end talent, and, and I think he's done a great job of, you know, maximizing. I mean, DeMar DeRozan has been very good outside of a couple of quarters. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, you know what you're going to get out of him. And, and then sticking with a guy like Derek White, um, this is more like a season-long thing. You know, I, we, we watched all year. Derek White has kind of done, to a lesser degree, what he's done in the playoffs so far all season but he had to work through some some low spots and and this is where you just trust a guy with pop's resume to let these guys sort themselves out and and then you know it comes up huge in a series like this in the playoffs so that wasn't necessarily a a first round adjustment that he made but more of a season long uh, developing that guy with this playoff series in mind yeah i'm of mixed minds about pop i think he's done some things that i really liked especially whether it's encouraging white to drive more because they had helped off him 
so much at the end of, of that game too um whether it's barricading the rim and forcing denver into a ton of floaters uh, you know and and putting the onus on their suspect jump shooting which actually was good in games three and four but on the other hand they're taking 15 three-pointers 17 three-pointers and this is a denver team that gives up a ton of threes and they have some decent shooters on this team and so you know it, within the course of this series based on the precedent established in the regular season i think he's done a great job but you do still wonder a little bit about the style attacking the vulnerabilities of denver now they've scored with the exception of last game when they went with craig very well in this series so it's hard to be critical of the lack of three-pointers but when they don't shoot you know 40 percent 45 percent when they're taking 15 to 17 threes a game and they only make three of them you're not giving yourself enough attempts to kind of normalize that three-point shooting right. they have good shooters and denver gives up threes and that's just it's just not part of his philosophy and so they've been really successful more than i thought they could be with this group and when they do go to more shooting that does sacrifice their defense and that's a, been a pain point for them as well but you do wonder about the way they're trying to compete and just what a math disadvantage right that they've been at more times than not this year it's worked out but i think that's going to be something to monitor the rest of the series yeah game four was a a prime example of that i mean you know the the nuggets shot the lights out and the spurs just couldn't hang and, and got blown out um i actually I, I have a negative coaching adjustment and it's pop you know yeah lamarcus aldridge was the only guy really going for them the other night and while they were still in it i mean he's he sat aldridge and and didn't bring him back in and i thought that was a big mistake um you know there are a lot of times and i think that you've even said this where we ascribe this some sort of sage like knowledge oh well you know pop is giving this game up because he feels confident going forward but it's the playoffs like you don't give up game and um i i think that was a mistake i think you got to try to take a swing at every single game you know we saw the clippers come back from 31 down obviously the 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 spurs team has more veterans more experience you know in theory at least a better coach all of these things working in its advantage playing a, a, a much worse team a younger team more prone to mistakes um you know they weren't down by that much when he just sat aldridge and didn't bring him back in so i, I thought that was that was a big mistake because this series could be 3-1 heading to denver potentially over yeah i can't remember what the score was i mean i i didn't remember being struck by it was that about just 10. because there was it was like a 14 point game with maybe like six minutes left and you're just such a statistical underdog at that time yeah. i do understand it maybe were you referring to a different time yeah it was earlier it was earlier in the in okay. the fourth you know where they they just couldn't get anything going without aldridge and and this is one of the issues with this spurs team you know i mean if if aldridge is not cooking and if DeRozan's not not knocking down the mid-ranger you know where are the points going to come from and like you said the math problem is is always evident and in particular when you have a, a hot shooting night from a team like the nugget yeah and i also thought that they had more success with aldridge and pick and pop earlier in the series and yeah. it's still a lot of iso post-ups for him aldridge was was scoring well but when he's going against either Millsap or Jokic, you know I, I don't think he's been that efficient they've done a good job of keeping him off of those spots and yet those a lot of those plays keep getting called and maybe there, there's some other stuff where if you make that denver defense go side to side you run more pick and roll i think that's more of their vulnerability than in the post where you that's really where Jokic would love for you to be uh, on every defense possession another guy who i think we have to give a lot of credit to is terry stotts now he's certainly been helped by what i think is a perfect matchup i thought it was insane of them to tank that last game in the season and want to play utah instead of okc i thought okc was a great matchup for them because with ennis Cantor on the floor you don't want to go against a team that runs a ton of pick and roll effectively and spreads the floor and so even then i didn't think that they could stop okc this well i mean he's got getting like Ennis Cantor has played legitimately well at times on defense against this OKC team which again doesn't have the spacing to really stress him out but when you consider also the mental component of having gotten swept last year the fact that you know I think you could say that he hasn't coached as well as some of his opponents previously I think he deserves a lot of credit just for the way that they've defended overall the way that they have defended Russ in particular you know there's reports about how they're just saying hey back off of Russ back off for us just let him shoot the three you know beating him into some rough jump shots and uh but to get guys like dame cj rodney hood cancer to be holding okc under a point per possession in a lot of these games that is very impressive yeah i, I think uh amino has been fantastic for them and uh cj i mean dame goes without without saying I yeah. mean, he, he's been by far the best player in this series and that's i know it sounds so simple and, and you know i say this to people all the time having the best player in the series 
when you can only put five people on the court at a time for your team, it matters. And in particular, when you've got a guy like Dame Willard who who can shoot from 30 feet and it really, you know, it increases your spacing. It's going to make a guy like Cantor more effective. Um, and Cantor's, you know, a great offensive rebounder. So you don't you don't actually mind taking those 30 footers because if you miss them, you got a good shot at getting a second chance. I, I think, yeah, they've done a, a great job. But the, the story of this series to me is Stotts, like you said, they're daring Russ to shoot. And last night, you know, you saw Russ hit like an early three and, and you don't know how to take that when you're trying to analyze the game you know because it's it, it's you know it's a double-edged sword okay so he's either going to hit a few or he's going to think he's going to hit them all and he's going to shoot a ton and you know it, he's just not I don't know the, the shot's not there let's just say that I'll try to be nice about it but the shot is just not there and I, I think Stotts is he's been smart to get him to hang back and and let him shoot them out of games essentially what about coaching performances you know you mentioned that that one issue with pop uh but uh, more from a wide view here what would you say really have been some mistakes or some coaching performances overall that you've uh haven't agreed with in this post uh I, I, look kenny atkinson has sort of done this all year but I, I think his timeout management is not great there are often times where i think he's he's stopping runs six or seven possessions too late and with a young team like brooklyn I, you've got to be really really quick and decisive you know there we we make fun of guys like steve kerr and, and Coach Pop that call these super early timeouts in a quarter. But for young teams, I actually think that that they're appropriate. You've got to correct those mistakes as soon as they're happening. Otherwise, there's an avalanche. And, and you know, we've seen that now multiple times in the Nets uh, Philly series. Um, other than that, I, you know, there. Well, well, let, let me comment on that. Yeah, go ahead. Because uh, that's part and parcel. I've always been a little bit more skeptical of how much taking a timeout actually changes things, unless you also take the opportunity to make a substitution during that time sure yeah and you know and maybe if there's one specific thing that you need to correct but uh you know this is one of those things where it seems like oh take a timeout like that's what what you're supposed to do but you only have so many timeouts and it's good to save them for later in the game and it's good to use them at times where you're able to kind of affect the flow of the game as far as making a substitution or advancing the ball and calling a play that you want to do with specific personnel or, or even to just take the timeout in between the opponent shooting some free throws and reduce their chance of making the, the second free throw things like that I've I felt like when you can use a timeout to specifically affect where you're putting the ball and who's on the floor that that matters more than just all right they got the momentum we're gonna we need to stop them but to your point there you noted how they're getting killed at the start of halves and uh the reason for that was they just didn't have the right starting lineup on the floor. And so Kuroks, Carroll, they had this group with only D'Angelo Russell who can dribble. And they finally changed their starting lineup in game four and maybe could have won that game. But maybe they win game three if right. they don't get completely killed at the start of the first and third quarter. And then they'd be in a different position than they were. And I thought it was very clear to me, okay, you won. I still would have changed the starting lineup even to start game one because right. he knows he knows in his mind right yeah. that Rody Kurox is not one of their best players like that's obvious because Kurox has didn't play a minute as soon as he got taken out of the starting lineup. exactly he knows. Yeah. it's just no, there's okay no this guy's a rookie it's kind of a good story we can kind of increase his value the front office looks good everyone's happy he gets this rookie gets some guaranteed playing time he's considered quote-unquote a starter that's all great but you know that he's not one of your nine best players um but fine you you do what you did all season blah blah game one you win okay you don't change up game two you get destroyed at the start of the third quarter game three was the obvious time to make that move especially because Levert was really good they didn't do it they got killed at the start of the first and third again and it ended up losing the game maybe they you know more likely than not they lose that game three anyway certainly lose the game two because they got completely destroyed in that one but that was one where I thought he really could have given his team a better chance to, to win there if he had just been more aggressive than he had before and he's another coach young team first time in the playoffs very development oriented it seems very harsh to take your rookie out of the lineup and oh what's this mean going forward and his confidence and all that stuff but no fuck that you gotta win the series man yeah it's in the playoffs playoffs. yeah yeah you just gotta get over that but just to push back a little bit I, i will say i'm on a normal team i am normally with you on timeouts you don't just waste them but with a young team i think that the emotional part of the game can affect them so negatively that you have 
got to, you've got to know your personnel and know if you need to jump in. And and there are times where you can just watch the momentum mounting against Brooklyn. And this happened throughout the regular season. This is not just a playoff issue for him. Uh, it just hasn't been corrected. And I, I do think that there are times where, and even if it is to make a lineup change or whatever, but to stop the bleeding for the young guys because you can watch their shoulders slump. I mean, it's, it's a lot of this coach speak, body language, doctor stuff. And I, I know that's not that's not your favorite thing, but but it is it is a real thing with with this well i'm I'm sort of young team i'm not saying that it doesn't exist sure but i'm also saying that you it's difficult to prove that that really affects the the team on the floor whereas some of the other things you know that that does actually provide you with an advantage yeah perhaps absolutely i I think even you know taking taking a timeout when the other team is about to inbound the ball because actually research shows that after a timeout teams are less efficient than just a normal dead ball play you know even then you're, you're probably call a timeout and just remind them all right here are the the sets that they like to run and this is how we're going to play this possession and that kind of stuff that even that can give you an, an advantage but yeah i mean obviously if you're in the middle of a 15 to 0 run probably a good idea to call a timeout. <laughs> yeah like, I'm, not, I'm not arguing with you there i think we're having more of a general discussion i mean right. when, when you probably but it is worth noting like that 20 to 0 run happened over like three minutes right um so <laughs> yeah well i mean there's also a huge talent disparity between these two teams like um you know brooklyn's yep. been one of my favorite stories all year but they just don't have the horses that that philadelphia has and, and so you know I, I actually thought that they would that they would win a game maybe two um i've been surprised that they've that they've actually been in it when you when you watch these teams on the court i mean it is just there's a stark difference in, in how good the players are for the sixers versus the Nets. all right we got a lot more to get to here with dave we want to talk about our most surprising and disappointing players uh the individual play up mashup that we found most interesting and what to expect in the remaining competitive series to the extent that there even are any uh, right after this dave right now is probably the goat sbc student well okay that's not true there's actually someone who's gone on to work from teams uh and uh our former director of insight and foresight liam doyle has got to be up there too but the goat for buying shoes is goat.com if you're buying sneakers online there's more than a coin flips chance that the shoe you're looking at is fake but at goat.com fear not every detail is inspected from the stitching and color to the size and weight they partner with sellers the sellers send the shoes to goat goat inspects them assures you that they are authentic and sends them to you they certify that every pair of sneakers on their site matches exact factory specifications and you're not going to find better prices for verified 100 authentic sneakers anywhere else they only accept sellers with the best reputation and this is why they are the largest marketplace in the world for authentic easies jordans over 600,000 sneaker listings. Find the perfect 100% authentic sneaker at goat.com and use our special URL slash capspace. That's goat.com slash capspace. That's G O A T. You know how it's spelled. Goat.com slash capspace. And don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. All right. Most surprising player to you of the first round. Who showed you something that you didn't know that they had? Okay. So this one, I'm hedging a little bit because we saw this early in the season. Um, but Karis LeVert, when he came yes. back from came back from injury, did not look like he did to start the year, and so there had to have been some concerns going into the playoffs. Uh, he's been fantastic. He his per thirty six, he's twenty seven a game, 49, 48, uh, 76 from the free throw line, his shooting splits, um, and and like all NBA level defense. He's been fantastic, and it's it's one of these things. It, it all also, NBA level defense. He's been all over the place. He is so good defensively. He is jumping passing lanes i mean he looks like he was never out with an injury that's how good he has looked and i was worried that last month i mean it was a bumpy month for him when he came back and this is again i'll give credit to kenny atkinson sticking with a guy and and knowing like you need to win games because you're trying you know you're jockeying for your playoff position or whatever but he knew it was important to get lavert those minutes and get him those reps and i mean it's paid off he's been great i mean they're still gonna lose but he's been fantastic yeah i thought he at a minimum that he's probably been their best option on jj reddick we've seen joe harris really struggle Oof. with with him i can't say that his defense has popped off the screen to me the way it has for you but th- that's, now that you say that i'll i'll uh try to look at that i'm a sucker a for a rangy run. guard i yeah. i mean i just you know like you know about my love for danny green and Derek yeah. white has been blowing you know blowing my mind this playoffs but yeah i love karis lavert again he's so long and he's so fast and i think that even when he's not affecting the play directly on the ball he 
is he is actually contributing greatly to their defense. Even when they've got him on the weak side, he's still adding a lot because you have to account for how fast and how long he is. So I've got a few candidates here that I'm going to choose between Ennis Cantor has got to be one. Oh, the yeah. fact that he's held up defensively that can't play him. And especially, you know, at the end of game one, when it was actually close, they finally started really going at him and pick and roll. He had about a four or five possession stretch there from like the five to the three minute mark where he's just getting killed in pick and roll. And uh, my dumb ass tweeted, oh, here's these plays, listed out the plays and did the can't play him. And then he makes actually uh, some nice plays to end that game and then they really have not been able to take advantage of him a, a ton since then so that's one Troy craig obviously uh, is another one i mean now he's not going to shoot five to seven all the time but the way that he's just improved his aggressiveness and the versatility of his jump shot even from the beginning of this year has been really impressive but it's probably got to be Derek white ultimately you know another guy in somewhat similar situation to lavert second year player mm-hmm. 24 years old but i just didn't realize the level of athleticism that he brings on both ends uh, on a per play basis i mean he his finishing has been awesome granted against a, not a good rim protecting team and the way that he has bothered jamal murray i mean jamal murray has gone up for like five jump shots that he thought he had room for and then had to adjust and pass off in midair right. because Derek white closed it so quickly and uh, some some people were talking about white for all defense consideration i didn't think that he played quite enough for that but it, it has been really just the closing speed the athleticism and the type of shape that he's in defensively has been uh just outstanding he was my x factor for this series so i'm not going to say i was i'm surprised by him i've watched a lot of Derek white i mean i'm in san antonio so got to see him up close quite a bit um he might be one of the five best guard defenders in the league already um he is very good i'm not surprised that he's bothering murray as much as as he is uh he has essentially erased him from most of this series so far i mean murray had a good game four and he had a good quarter in game two and other than that he's been non-existent and it's 100% because of Derek White yeah I will say Malone did make some nice adjustments in game four to get Murray going a little bit more with more pick and roll rather than the DHO which White is just so good at Mm -hmm. you can't get as good of a screen on a DHO as you can just on on ball play so White was getting screened off a little bit better and I thought that helped Murray to some degree and so Uh, did Torrey Craig yeah what's that having Torrey Craig on the court you know like Barton has been so bad that they weren't even guarding him they for for stretches in game three Derek white was guarding barton and and helping 15 feet off so i mean he was extremely effective because of that so yeah the tory craig again that tory craig adjustment was was a difference maker for the nuggets in every single way it could be another honorable mention to me andrew bokett for golden state i mean he looked like he was done three years ago basically and having lost this weight the, the big trouble for him was the 82 game season being able to play you know whatever it was 25 games over a four-month period in Australia really seemed to revitalize him and so he looks very fresh and and hopefully he won't be as worn down by these playoffs so just I mean to be able to get anything useful out of him uh is impressive I mean and he even you know I thought he was just a total offensive liability he's actually finished okay around the room can't quite get up for the alley the way he could at the start of his career in Golden State so that would be another one but I think White would be my pick how about a most disappointing player I think I got to go back to Brooklyn again and uh, Joe Harris has just been awful, awful. His defense isn't is, that just not making shots, though. I mean, nineteen percent is worse. I mean, nineteen yeah. percent from three when you led the league in in three point shooting. That's a little bit worse than just not making shots. And I would say if he was only not making shots, it'd be fine. But his defense, you know, you pointed out he he really has done a poor job on JJ Redick. Yeah, he's miscast as a two, though. He really has the body of a three. You know, yeah, he I is, think that's he's big. it. Was that's part of the reason that starting lineup in addition to the fact that they only have one guy who could dribble i thought was bad because he had to guard reddick and and i just don't he's just like too thick and not quick enough jj reddick he's this white dude so people don't think this but like he's a great athlete like he is really quick he never gets tired Mm -hmm. going around those screens and so yeah i mean i think like joe harris to me has looked better uh guarding bigger guys i thought he was okay on ben simmons down the end of of that last game but i mean he's really a three even almost a small ball four with, with that frame so i think they're asking him to do stuff that he just wasn't really capable of doing to me uh like i knew he wouldn't be able to guard reddick and uh, sure. i guess the, the coaching staff wasn't aware of that wait well, i think you know this is one of those coaching staff we want to try to challenge a guy it's just a ter- 
terrible time to do it. But yeah, yeah you're right. Reddick gets gets next to no credit for the condition that he's in. I mean, he you know we talked all the time about Ray Allen and constant motion and how many screens he would run off. That's JJ Reddick's been doing that for ten years. And I mean, how many pieces have we have we seen? Oh, JJ runs this many miles per game. Um, and and so yeah, when you're a guy Joe Harris's size, that's definitely tough. But not making shots to the degree that he that he's missing shots. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the difference between them, you know, being maybe two two or even up three one to down three. Yeah, I mean, to me, disappointing is kind of more. All right, if you're just if you're a good shooter and you're not making shots, like all right, you know, like I'm not gonna think oh going into next season, assuming they lose in this. Next oh game, right, I see. Oh, what like I don't believe in Joe Harris now. I, I I don't believe like I don't believe like oh because he shot poorly in these playoffs, he's gonna shoot poorly in every playoffs. Okay. I think I'm more looking for guys, at least in my opinion, where okay. Uh, this is showing something where this guy is just not good enough and we know that he's not good enough well i've you know, got one of those too. crucible has really exposed this guy in a way that maybe the regular season did not um yeah i think rudy rudy gobert is that guy for me okay um obviously you know i, I mean you know Draymond talks about 82 game players versus 16 game players it is becoming to me apparent that rudy gobert might not be a 16 game player just he's by virtue of three he was fine but he can be schemed off the court to easily you can well, you can yeah, i mean against there's against like four like, teams you know, the that, top four teams right. in the nba maybe yeah I, so I think, he yeah. limits i think he limits your ceiling if he's your you know the the cornerstone of your defense i actually have i floated the idea that they should have started favors and use gobert you know 18 minutes a game as like a hammer to come in uh when when capella wasn't out there he just he just cannot handle that that capella harden combo i mean james harden started 0 for 15 in game three i mean i i, I agree he's with gonna you. do that play well and and not only him but also just the jazz perimeter players right i mean not many guys in nba history are going to be able to handle a two-on-one every single time in the half court with james harden and clint capella right i mean yeah so and he i mean i thought he played a lot better they held houston down pretty well until the very end of that game in that game three and yeah i think it helped to have the home crowd behind him and the perimeter executed a little bit better they weren't just giving harden a straight up free run for most of the game right to to the basket like i i I think he didn't play to his capabilities but i i'm not willing to say that like you know he's uh, i'm not a believer in him now i do think when you just look at your team building overall he's going to have less impact in the playoffs when you're going against great pick and roll ball handlers who can pull up for three teams that can really space the floor uh you know houston is one of the best offenses in nba history and james harden is one of the best offensive players in nba history and if you're putting that many resources you know one of your top two guys into a player who just you know just due to structurally who he is can't have as much of an effect then yeah if rudy gobert is one of your two best players you know, unless the other one is lebron james or something i do think you're gonna struggle to get to a conference finals or an nba finals just because you know that's he can't have enough of an impact on the other end as well um but you know let's see how he plays the, the rest of the series you know, they do have one more game i'd be interested to see i think he's gonna play well tonight in theory unless they just totally lay down in this game four i thought he actually showed more offensively in game three so i, I think you're being a little hard harsh on Rudy probably I, I understand where you're yeah. coming from to be um clear. I you know that reminds me we completely glossed over Quinn Snyder and the, the yeah. defensive I mean, scheme and, for the and, first two games which was just I mean you you nailed it two on one every single time down I mean it was it that was the crazy I mean I know that the Bucks were able to do it but the Bucks are a much different yeah. team than they don't Utah. have that type yeah. of personnel they yeah. don't have Giannis and they don't have Eric Bledsoe right. and they also I mean I think actually Utah has really missed Dante Exum in this series. absolutely well, he he's been one of the best at guarding Harden the last few seasons. Yeah. Now they didn't miss yeah. him on the offensive end. I mean, that's no, the other yeah. thing. Like, and Quinn Snyder, like you complain about the defensive strategy. Like they're getting a shitload of wide open threes every game and just not making. It. I mean, that's not Quinn Snyder's fault. Right. Well, that's yeah. That's a whole and, other and I thought story, they but... did actually have. I agree with you in games one and two. I think they had some really nice adjustments in game three to get things going to really emphasize getting the ball to the roll man, having that guy get deep post position against the weak side guard who's smaller, trying to help i mean they have tried stuff i thought their and their offense looked great to me in the first half and then they just they really bogged down but he at least made them go back to switching everything um so i i agree with you i mean the whole game was one and two for utah i thought was just 
a pathetic effort from their entire organization basically in those two games uh but i I think they've recovered a little bit and hopefully they'll play reasonably well tonight uh and maybe even win one because i i am i mean to me they're my most disappointing team if we're gonna right if we're gonna get to that i mean i picked that series to go seven and to just not even compete in the first two games and then to not win that game in game three when they made Harden struggle so badly in part because of what they did obviously sure uh but to just not be able to capitalize on that is just such a disappointment yeah they they really have been um you know i i I was like king jazz supporter coming into the season they obviously had a rough first half of the season but uh i I thought that they were going to be the third best team in the west this year um and they they weren't far off but i think houston is better than they were last year and that's kind of thrown us off um in particular james harden is better uh and them winning a game with a game that like he had in game in game three would not have happened last season so i I think that our our sort of perceptions of these teams aren't quite where they should be like i think houston is just pretty much what they were last year if not slightly better and it's that's a really interesting question uh because paul to me is definitely worse right but the defense is worse i mean they just don't have the same size but the scheme is better, had. I think. They're not yeah. switching every single thing, which means they're not as susceptible to, you know, blown switches and, and then the backdoor cuts. And so I actually it was it was one of my questions for, for later on. I was gonna ask you if, if you thought Houston might be better. I don't know. We'll find out next yeah. series, I, I suppose, right? I mean and worth noting that even with Chris Paul, if Iguadala is healthy, they probably go down three one and they lose that series pretty easily, uh, against the Warriors last year. And yeah, the Paul injury happened at the end of game five and you can argue that they would have won that but the Iguodala injury happened first and they were really dominating that series had a 12 point lead in game four even without Iguodala going into the fourth quarter um and then had a game and a quarter of really bad offensive struggles against Houston but I I really you know you mentioned the scheme change are they going to put two on the ball in pick and roll now they did go to the switching down the end against Utah that worked really well are they going to go back to straight switching everything you know they're just not as big uh, defensively as they were last year I think especially when Mute was healthy I don't think they're as good I mean they were I thought a fearsome defensive team whereas I think they're a good defensive team that just matches up really well with Utah uh, right now so I I don't know I think we're going to find out a, a lot about and the Warriors to me I mean I guess they're a little bit worse this year but uh, this is going to be the one series where missing cousins actually is a big deal yeah possibly it's uh uh, and I I mean I don't think Bogut's going to be able to play against Houston so they're gonna they're gonna have to dust off Jordan Bell but as long as having Iguodala back is huge if he were to get injured again or or someone else on the wing gets injured again then yeah I think the Warriors could be in big trouble um so let's see uh, other candidates for most disappointing players I mean Westbrook has to be up yeah there too. I mean, for despite the fact that i've been lower on him i did not have him on an all-nba team uh, this year uh but to not be able to be even remotely effective in this series with uh, some of the defensive liability i mean portland is not a good defensive team no I mean, they, they were even with nurkic they were a below average defensive team this year and then they lost nurkic who is their best defensive player and i mean paul george would have to be up there too i mean he hasn't really had a dominant game in this series but uh, those two guys to me have to fall right up there as well in terms of disappointments and in Westbrook's case you know we saw him have a lot of these games in the regular season where he wasn't getting the rim he has just felt like he had to do something so he's just jacking jumpers and not making them and you know that's continuing I mean if he can't attack the basket effectively which he hasn't for large swaths of the series it really seems clear that he's moved into a new phase of his career at this point yeah and to be so thoroughly outplayed at your position makes it even more like it stands out even more uh because as bad as Russ has been Dame has been better you know like th- just that good and yeah. I think that that that's a big deal Paul George b- big disappointment to me but it's c- pretty clear that he's not healthy um I'm not going to give him a pass it, because he's playing that, I mean I agree that's probably true yeah that that and he was playing so well he had a severe drop off after every the season injury. Paul George will have you know two great shooting months and this year that was the case as well and yeah he started to have these shoulder problems and he wasn't playing as well and certainly it's a real injury I mean he right if it weren't for like he would have played in that Milwaukee game at the end of the season if he were healthy enough he said he couldn't raise his shoulder above his arm and maybe a surgery is coming but also I think it's fair to acknowledge that he was a little bit above anything 
everything that he had done in his career before for about a month and a half two month period there you know in, in january and february and to expect regression would have been fair regardless well but he's also at his peak physically at least he should be uh aside yeah. injury aside you know he's 28 years old um not outside the realm of possibility that this guy shooting higher volume might shoot a little bit better and yeah. Russ does attract defense so you know I, I i actually thought it was legit um everyone despite everyone telling me that it you know hey it's gonna drop off and uh it did drop off but i'm gonna i'm gonna rely on the fact that it was injury based just to you know stick to my own narrative that's what i do you know i gotta i gotta make the arguments for paul george to make myself look good um no but it, it, he's been disappointing in the playoffs i mean there's just no two ways about it i thought this team at, at one point this year was the second best team in the west i like i thought they were the oh, team yeah, I, I never bought that for a second the defense was so good and and then it i mean it jumped off a cliff yeah, and I, I just didn't think they were going to be able to score when it came down to it against against the best defenses well everyone stopped being able to shoot all yeah. at once and and you know I, I just i don't know i didn't expect that um but uh yet this going into the summer i think that this team of the playoff teams uh has a lot more intrigue than than anyone outside of toronto because obviously the Kawhi question is the number one question um the kevin durant question I, i'm kind of tired of the Kawhi is probably the, <laughs> the most interesting one but i think that okc with, with the way their cap looks and how hamstrung they are in particular because of the rust contract i just don't see how this team improves in the areas it needs to improve and then you know you're going to have teams that are going to be coming up next year and, and and getting better and what does that mean going forward for for okc i know that like this is a playoff podcast but i can't no. help when well, i, well, when I look is, at this team and to, th- to think in the future yeah i mean this is what makes these these questions right what makes these playoffs so interesting i mean even you know the second round in the east for example with philly and boston so much is going to be determined by that in terms of free agency and there's not really much going on in 2020 free agency like this is this free agency is going to rewrite and these playoffs before that it's going to rewrite the face of the league for the next four or five years uh, isn't like i think 47 percent of the league hitting free agency or something some crazy number yeah because all the one-year deals last year yeah Yeah. so yeah i mean it's this is why when when people have nba nihilism and they just say well the warriors can only win the title well okay i mean maybe this year but next year is not written in stone you know it's way too early to be toronto and milwaukee are really by the way very good yeah i I actually think milwaukee really stands a chance they make the final um individual player matchup that you uh have most enjoyed i mean i I think the the russ dame matchup from just a viewer standpoint like the way that the i mean first of all they're two of the best at going at a guy i mean dame does it a little bit more quietly than russ does but he you still know he's going at someone and he has been so handily winning this matchup i mean this is like a heavyweight boxer boxing a flyweight like it's not even fair but it's still super entertaining that's it's been one of the more fun head-to-head matchups um you know i I think uh the other one that stands out to me is is harden versus the utah crowd yeah because they Uh, hate they hate his go bear almost i mean the way they've been playing him yeah what about you well Kawhi against the guys that have been trying to guard him either aaron gordon or john isaac i mean that that's really showed up and gordon has been trying to go back in some of the other ones although we haven't had Kawhi really guarding the best players on orlando certainly kd and patrick beverly I mean, yeah that's one that that is uh attracted a lot of attention but clippers about halfway through right as they started their comeback in game two have gone to more switching so that hasn't been uh, as direct of a matchup and then uh jamal murray and Derek white has been a really fascinating one although now they've they've had to switch murray off of what i mean the way that the nba has changed there are very few times when two really good players are both going to be guarding each other on the other end i mean it's even if one of the guys has like great two-way ability the other one won't and so he'll he'll be switched off so i think i I would go back to harden versus gobert actually i think that's really has been fascinating because the the perimeter players on utah basically been giving up and say all right rudy gobert you have to stop james harden even though you're a center and he's a guard yeah the the olay defense is uh is very very much on display in that series Um, well so so all right we're, we're gonna 
gonna if we're gonna kill quinn snyder for his strategy trying that buck strategy what is the right strategy so all right i actually talked about this because scotty pippen was on the jump and talked about you know taking away harden's left and, and that is conventional wisdom you don't want him to, to be able to drive to the left thing is his step back goes right i, I yeah. think i think you want to sit on that right hand and but force him way left and and what would what would work for utah because this worked for milwaukee they sit on the left hand but utah's not doing a good enough job of driving harden to the right side partly yeah, because he could snake back to his left exactly anytime, or just go in a straight line even like he's not and that's actually what's going to his right he takes right. one dribble with his right hand and then he can do whatever he wants exactly he also can make passes with his right hand to the left side of the court can, so just can he? yeah he can i haven't seen that from him at all actually i think that's that's the reason why they always force him right i think more than his shooting is uh is it i mean you, you've seen him throw right-handed passes yeah to the to like the opposite corner i i can't say that i've seen that yeah i'll see if i can dig some up and send them to you on synergy but the the thing is like i mean this guy is he is at the peak of his offensive game he's doing stuff that we've never seen before and i think that if you're utah you should say you know what we're a very good defensive team we trust what we can do and just go into your almost your regular defense at the very least you're gonna if you go down you're going down with something you know isn't going to be this embarrassing display like we saw in the first two games and, and we saw the adjustment game three and game four it wasn't nearly as as extreme as the first two where that you know there were points where ricky rubio or joe ingles were literally guarding james harden from off of behind his left hip well and even at the very end of game three they did kind of go back to that yeah so you know middle is uh, there there are a couple of tenets of nba defense you don't want to help off one pass away and you don't want to give up the middle because middle is death and, and so they, they were doing all of those they, i mean the middle was just where james harden got to live and you know he's he's very good at these little uh, barely imperceptible uh sort of head movements that that will bait you into a lob and he can hit the man in the corner and so you know if you give him that runway you're just at his will and also his floater has been pretty decent uh this season too so um i i just think it is a very hard matchup with the personnel that they have but they didn't do to themselves any favors yeah. by by having the gimmick because they also don't have as much enough athleticism on the back side right they don't have that Giannis figure who can be the weak side help and and also not give up the corner three right like they just don't have that guy favors can't do it gobert can't do it um obviously jay crowder just isn't long enough yeah. like they, they don't and have they don't that. have anyone who can guard him in an isolation either i mean they, they're they, they who can even prevent him from getting to that setback right i mean if you look at iguodala clay thompson dream on green i think all those guys because i mean the combination of attributes you got to have is pretty big right yeah. i mean like you got to be long and you got to be stout and you got to be quick enough <laughs> right. to bother that step back without fouling not let him get that shove into your chest and create a ton of space on the step back really you know make if he's going to do that step back make him really do it violently so he's a little bit more off balance to really try to create the space and utah doesn't have a single guy on the roster who checks all those boxes maybe cephalosha did earlier in his career but then having him out there is killing their offense right so so well, they mean, don't have and, and we've talked so much about the their defense too i mean it's i mean the the lack of offense has really been what's killed them more than anything i think but um yeah so i i've i agree with you i think the like you know just play him straight up and all right it's not the end of the world if he gets gets to his left and at least you're making him make a hard driving move and yeah you know he can spray passes a little bit better with that left hand set up the shooters on the weak side well i mean he's spraying the passes around when he gets right to the rim regardless at least you know if you're sending him left but you're trying to play legitimate defense at least you can kind of be on his hip as he's driving and kind of impact his layup impact impact him a little bit so impact his floater so gobert isn't just like facing a straight up two on one you know it's like a it's a two on one and a half right uh instead to, to be in there and you're also not just like okay we're just giving you a gift and now you can just attack under control you actually have to attack fast enough that and that tires you out and also just you can't just size them up slow down bait them out so i i mean is that gonna work probably not probably He's not the greatest offensive players in history <laughs> right. and the book has been to force him right right for whatever but you know now that his step back is so dead that if he's really hitting that shot yeah give it give it a chance i mean see, he shot see what i mean he shot 40 percent on the step back this season and so like it's there's not a whole lot you can do when a guy is doing this i mean this is he's at the level offensively it's like the 15 16 step season where 
I don't I don't know that there is an answer. I just know that giving up a 5 on 4 every single time down is not the right one. And you know what they're missing to make the Bucks scheme work? It, not just Giannis, they're missing Bledsoe. You know, Bledsoe checks all those yeah. boxes that you talked about. He's long, he's big. Um his timing is fantastic defending, you know, defending that shot from Harden. So, you know, it's it's always easy to look at what one team did and and assume that you can just make it work, but man, it just goes to show that the the NBA is very much a personnel league and if you don't have the personnel that can that can actually pull off the scheme you've got a scheme for your personnel and utah did not do that in the first let's uh let's talk a little bit about sbc because you to me are probably one of the best people to come on and promote it i mean would it be going too far to say that sbc really changed your life uh yeah it definitely changed the direction um you know i was already working in basketball at in in, you know varying levels um much lower than the nba and uh thought I wanted to do one thing and um, when I did SBC in 2016 actually you were possibly the person that was most influential in getting me to to start talking about basketball rather than, rather than trying to work for a team or something like that um, but yeah sports business classroom was it was vital to kind of opening up my eyes to all the different avenues that I could actually explore to work in basketball it wasn't just hey I could be a coach or I could be a scout it was well I mean I could do media I could maybe you know become an expert on the CBA and salary cap back you know that that was where I learned about social media in general um, and, and how important it is for the league and, and you know it's funny when you think about front office positions you don't think about the fact that almost every single team has its own media arm and that's something that I didn't even realize when I went in there I, you know because I don't go to or I didn't go to like thunder.com or whatever Oklahoma City's website is and, and see the stuff that they were putting out and so uh, it's really interesting it, it was it was very interesting for me to see just like hey there's not just one path to to working in and around the league so yeah it kind of changed my life well and you for, if you don't know dude that well he is probably the most indefatigable person i know <laughs> at just like keeping in touch with people and so like i wasn't it, always it, that way yeah Sport, yeah sports business classroom changed my life from that perspective <laughs> seriously yeah, jeff it, jeff felinser the number yeah. one thing you hear uh when you work in and around the league is that it's a relationship business and it was hammered home during sports business classroom and so i from uh, that d- don't give away all the secrets well we there people, yeah there you we go want people to register and and uh and pay and show up uh, yeah that's right i'll finish this story i'll finish this story in vegas <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that it, it really it, it changed a lot uh, of my perception. And you know, I, I've told people because people reach out to me all the time. You know, I don't want to call myself the poster boy for sports business classroom, but I kind of am. I mean, I I, I was a student uh, three years ago, and I've you know turned that into what I do now. And um, I, I make myself available to answer questions. I have people who are don't currently work in basketball that are maybe looking for a career change. I have people that that don't work in basketball but want to know if this stuff works for business that isn't basketball. I think everything that we teach is applicable outside of basketball. Certainly scouting video and analytics and the CBA and salary cap are extremely geared toward the NBA, but there are things and connections you can make there that would translate to just about any walk of life that you're in, any sort of business. Yeah, and Dave, of course, will be quite involved this year as well. We The best students, we actually bring them back as interns the next year. So we did that with Dave in 2017. And now you're like basically probably the number two guy to Larry uh, at this point, uh, helping uh, get everything together. So, uh, yeah, we encourage you to check it out at sportsbusinessclassroom.com and uh, join us in Vegas this summer. And thanks to Dave uh, as well. Let her know what you're doing in terms of work these days. Well, uh, so I'm currently working with The Athletic and uh, I'm hosting the the Back to Back podcast. We we moved over there uh, a few weeks ago. It's been fun. Uh, It's been really interesting to kind of get to know the roster of, of people that we have covering teams and, and obviously the NBA, you know, Ethan Strauss, friend of the show, and, um, you know, all of the people that we have at The Athletic. I mean, it's really incredible. I don't know how anybody follows, in particular, the NBA without having a subscription to The Athletic. So I'll just assume everyone's already signed up through your podcast. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I host the Backpack Podcast, uh, Nerder She Wrote on Thursdays, and uh, we do the Daily Ding every single day. So that we. You got that chat tomorrow, right? Uh, no, I did it. My Q&A was today i did oh, it okay, right before right. 
before. Some yeah. People can read the summary of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I do a weekly Q and a, um, and that's a lot of fun because you know, I, I love feed feedback. And so I like to know that I am kind of focusing on what the audience wants me to focus on. So I think those Q and A's are great because I get to see where people who listen and, and read where their head is. What are they seeing? What are they paying attention to? I I've had people bring up things that I haven't seen any writer write about in Q and A's and it's, and it's opened my eyes to some stuff. You know, we're all human and we're all trying our best and we're all, we all want to see everything. It's impossible. So uh, I really enjoy those Q and A's for the, for that perspective. Plus people ask funny questions and that's always the best. <laughs> well, that might be nice for you. I don't have a sense of humor at all with my work, but uh, it's good, <laughs> good to know that you do it, at least. I try. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us and uh, looking forward to catching up uh, at Summer League. See you then.